Hello and welcome to Healthline 3. I'm Terry Simmons. Today we're talking about cancer of the head and neck and we're talking with Dr. Sanford Katz, Assistant Director of Radiation Oncology with Willis-Knighton Cancer Center. We'll be taking your calls throughout the show and as a reminder, please make sure you're in a quiet room with your TV turned down all the way before making your call. The number is 318-219-4569 and we look forward to hearing from you to talk about head and neck cancer. Dr. Katz, thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're really looking forward to this. We were talking in, on the break or, or earlier in the show for the little tease before we close the show. I'm fascinated about the ways that you can diagnose head and neck cancer. Um, we'll go ahead and review again in case someone missed that. What exactly, let's be specific about what head and neck cancer really does Yeah, sure. Include. So what we're talking about is pretty much everything from the lips down to your voice box. So the front of your mouth, including the lips, is considered the oral cavity. And there are certain types of cancers that can occur in the oral cavity. Different things can cause cancers of the oral cavity. Then as we move back, towards the back of the tongue, and the tonsillary, and the soft palate, that's considered the oropharynx, so that's the back of your mouth. And those cancers can be very specific uh, and different from the ones that we get in the front of the mouth. And then you go further back, and now you're talking about an area called the, the pharynx, and that's really the beginning of the, the area where the, the food goes down and goes down into the esophagus and you swallow. And then the front portion goes down into the breathing portion of your, of your throat, and that's called the larynx, and then the bottom of that is the vocal cords. And that then goes down into the lungs. So it's a very complicated area in terms of anatomy because you, you have to speak, swallow, and breathe all in the same tube and make sure that the food and the air go in the proper place. And so um, the anatomy is tricky and the type of cancers that can occur in those, in those regions um, can affect all of those three functions, breathing, speaking, and swallowing. So um, it's a very interesting area to treat and uh, that's an area that I specialize in, in cancers on the head and neck. <laughs> This is fascinating, just this little bit that you just explained, and thank you for laying that all out. I mean, it's uh, no doubt uh, why there's a need for a, a specialty, someone to specialize in this. You don't think about how many different types or different parts are in the, in the head and, and neck, even just the mouth, the front of the mouth, back of the mouth. Can you get cancer of the gum? Can you get, uh, let's uh, talk about the mouth, the oral yeah, cavity sure. we can have. Let's start there with yeah, what can sure. happen. So the oral cavity, we're thinking, you know, the lips, as you said, the gums, the floor of the mouth, the, the front of the tongue, uh, the cheeks. You know, um, cancers that occur in those areas typically are associated with tobacco. Mm. Um, the worst being the chewing tobacco. Really? See, oh my gosh, that is one of the worst things that you can do is to chew, chew tobacco. And now you, you must see that a lot here because I grew up with everybody having, you know, a dip or a chew. Yeah. Either between their lip or in their jaw. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. I really hate to see that um, because you know you can really get some devastating um, uh, damaging cancers. And so when you're talking about cancers involving the front of your tongue or your jaw or your cheek, those are generally managed surgically. And now you're talking about you know something that you know surgery that can affect your function and your appearance, and that's that's permanent. Um, so those are those are really bad cancers to have. And of course, smoking uh, also can cause those cancers as well. Um, so that's typically oral cavity cancers, and those are generally handled by, um, by surgeons. We sometimes we use radiation as well, but those are, those are primarily surgical. Okay. You know, there are three types of cancer treatment, um, surgery being one, 
another one being chemotherapy, which is medicine, either given in the vein or, or taken by a pill, and radiation therapy, which is basically either x-ray type treatment or even proton type radiation treatment, which is very targeted and delivered to specific areas. And so depending upon where the cancer is in the head and neck, how advanced it is, um, the preferred treatment might be surgery, it might be radiation, it might be a combination of, radi of radiation and surgery, and might be chemotherapy and radiation. So it really depends upon where it is, how advanced it is, and also what are we trying to do? Are we trying to preserve someone's speech, their swallowing, things of that sort? So usually these cancers are managed with a multidisciplinary team, which means um, a whole number of physicians, the surgeons, the radiation oncologists, and the medical oncologists. Those are the ones who give the chemotherapy. Oh, so interesting, and you do hear a lot about chemo, chemo and radiation, chemo or radiation, and, and I never understood how they're, you know, how you decide if it's both or one or the other. Is it a decision that I get to make? Um, and how that really works. But I do want to talk about a little something that you told me on the break, that when you go to medical school, you're not really taught about radiation and, and all of this. So tell me about your background real quick before you go into more, like how you, how you got into this, why, and where you learned all this. Yeah, it's true. In, in medical <laughs> school, you really don't have any exposure to radiation oncology wow. at all. And, and typically, there's maybe one or no uh, graduates who go into the field. So it's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty small field. I, the way I got into it was I, when I was younger, lived uh, near the National Cancer Institute. And in high school, I had an opportunity to work in the National Cancer Institute doing cancer research. <gasps> wow. Yeah, and, and that really gave me the, the bug. I really wanted to, to be a cancer doctor. So I specifically went to medical school to become a cancer doctor. Um, and I didn't know what kind. So, um, you know, I looked at surgical oncology, which is, you know, surgery for cancer and medical oncology, which is the chemo doctors. And, you know, radiation was just a perfect fit for me because there was a lot of physics uh, that you understand, nuclear physics, and a lot of math, which I like. And, uh, and also there's specific biology uh, related to cancer and, and radiation. And, and then also there's the anatomy portion. You have to know the anatomy of the whole body because cancers can affect all different areas of the body and radiation is, is often used in, in many of them. So for me it was just it was just a perfect fit. Perfect fit. Well we're certainly glad you decided to do it and we're glad you're here in this area. Um, it's really amazing to have this right here where we don't have to go outside of the Shreveport Bossier area to have this done. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure so many people are so grateful to have this treatment right here at home. Yeah right? absolutely. You know I'm not I'm not originally from here. I've been here for 23 years <laughs> but I'm from as I said from the Northeast. Right. And so um, you know it's surprising how sophisticated and advanced the medical community is here in Shreveport. And that was one of the things that, that drew me from, from the East Coast. Um, you know, there is, there is very little that, that you can't get treated in this, in this area. And we do get people coming from, you know, more rural areas and, and Shreveport is certainly a kind of a, a medical um, destination. But I mean, the care here is so sophisticated and not just in cancer care, but in surgery and, and all other areas of medicine. Yeah, so definitely. We're really yeah. lucky. Uh, we really are. We're really blessed to have it all here. And we do, we talk, as you've mentioned, and, and other doctors that we have here on Healthline 3 that do talk about people not only in rural areas come here, but from far away. People will come here. It, it has become a really good destination point for people to get treated for certain certain ailments and not only cancer, like you said. Absolutely. So I'm going to ask you a real remedial question for an obvious one. 
chemotherapy and radiation. We yes. hear about both of them, yep. or either or with certain type of cancer. So what is the difference? Like what does chemotherapy do and what does radiation do? How do those each things affect the body? Right. And why do they do what they do to, to help cure cancer? Yeah, so I'm gonna speak specifically about head and neck cancer because it is a little yes. different depending upon the type of cancer and where it is in the body. Mm -hmm. But the way that chemotherapy is used um, since it is a systemic treatment, co goes throughout the body, if someone unfortunately has cancer that is spread beyond the confines of just you know, the head and neck region, and it's in other parts of the body, the chemotherapy then becomes primary. So we have to treat the entire body, all the cancer cells that you can see and you can't see. And so in that situation, you need a systemic therapy, which chemotherapy is, and it becomes you know, your mainstay. Um, when we're talking about more localized head and neck cancer, what we're trying to do is we're trying to cure the cancer and we're also trying to preserve function. And as I said earlier, you know, when you have surgery, you alter the anatomy and you can alter the function. And so it, we often will use radiation as the primary therapy to cure the cancer and preserve the anatomy. So you preserve your function. Um, the chemotherapy in that setting is, it's helpful. It's added to the radiation in a lower dose typically and its purpose is to kind of sensitize the cancer cells to mm. the damaging effects of the radiation, makes the radiation work better. Oh, yeah. I never thought about how they work hand in hand like yeah. that. Yeah, so they work in, in conjunction. Huh. So that's why it's, you know, we talk about a multidisciplinary approach and that's where the, the medical oncologists and the radiation oncologists and the, and the surgeons all come together. Mm -hmm. And I work with oral surgeons, oral maxillofacial surgeons and ear, nose and throat surgeons as well. And I have a number of medical oncology colleagues that we work with. So many times we get together and we have a meeting and we talk about people's uh, cases and we try to come up with the best treatment options. And when I say options, it's because the patient often will have a, uh, a say. I mean, they always have a say, but we present the advantages and disadvantages to maybe one treatment or another. And you know, depending upon what is important to them and what they, they value the most, they may opt for one treatment over another. But, but typically when we talk about radiation therapy and chemotherapy together in head and neck cancer, we're talking about preservation of function. So we're talking about maintaining your voice, maintaining your swallowing, maintaining your tongue, okay? Um, sometimes may, may, that may not be feasible and you may need surgery, but then radiation sometimes is used after surgery uh, and sometimes chemotherapy and radiation together are used after surgery if there's concern that there might be some cancer cells left behind. Okay, and is this the same thing? It, preservation therapy is a term, is something. Is we I, call it organ this? preservation. Organ preservation yes. therapy, so what is that? Yeah, so organ preservation is again, it's where you wanna preserve somebody's anatomy mm -hmm. so that it continues to function. So if you were to have, let's say, a cancer of your voice box, your vocal cords, and surgery uh, would result in you losing your vocal cords, not speaking, and having a trach, a tracheostomy, breathing through, and some people I'm sure I've seen that, where yes. people breathe through their, their neck. So uh, we often would want to preserve somebody's ability to speak, and so using radiation and sometimes chemotherapy together um, to get rid of the cancer, and yet they preserve their vocal cords and they're still able to speak. So that's considered organ preservation. Okay, okay, I get that. And um, so you mentioned that there are different types of cancer for different parts of the head and neck, right? So what, you wanna describe those or talk about those? Yeah, sure, so I've already mentioned the ones in the oral cavity, right. which can affect the jaw and the tongue and the cheek. Mm -hmm. As we get further back, then we get into the areas around the, the back of the tongue and the tonsillar region. And those are really special because um, 
first off, they're very difficult to operate on. Okay, so you mm. oftentimes if you have to take someone's tongue, particularly the back of the tongue, they're not able to swallow, they're not able to preserve their airway. So food goes down their airway, and so oftentimes you operate on the back of the tongue, many times you end up not being able to, to breathe and swallow in the same tube, so you need the trach. So those, that's an area that we generally we use radiation as primary therapy. But what is particularly interesting is that we're finding more and more that cancers that develop in the back of the tongue and the tonsil area are associated with HPV or the human papillomavirus. Yes. And so um, and when I started my practice, it was usually smokers and drinkers, uh, alcohol and tobacco. But now we're seeing the majority of people who develop those cancers, it's actually a related exposure to a virus. Wow. Yeah. And go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and so what's very exciting about that, you know, is people will say, well, how do I prevent cancer? How do I prevent cancer? So there's a vaccine, which is the HPV vaccine. There's a couple different types, but it's now recommended that everyone get it. All, all children starting around age between 9 and 11, get boys and girls, get vaccinated to the HPV virus. And you can actually, um, it's, it's recommended up to about age 26, although people up to about age 45 mm -hmm. can derive some benefit. But the, um, the purpose of the vaccine is to um, immunize you against the virus. And that virus not only causes the cancers in the back of the throat, but primarily causes cervical cancer mm -hmm. as well as anal cancer. Yeah. So, we're, so that vaccine is really important because we're finding a dramatic drop in the cases of head and neck cancers and cervical cancers in the people who have gotten the vaccine at a, at a younger age. Very interesting yeah. to know that. All right, we have a caller for you. Oh, okay. Hi, Great. Abby, thank you for calling. What's your question? Um, okay, my question, actually, I'm a mother of two young girls and just exactly what you're talking about is vaccines. My pediatrician did not offer the, he didn't say we needed the HPV vaccine, and I'm just wondering how important that is. Is it an optional vaccine, or should it be a required vaccine for my daughters? Yes, you know, um, I'm sorry, I, I missed the beginning. What, what was your name? Abby. Abby. Ab okay, Abby. hi, Abby. Yeah, that's an excellent question. So, oh, there we are. Uh, that's an excellent question. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a sensitive topic because HPV is a sexually transmitted disease. And so uh, many pediatricians are a little uncomfortable discussing sexually, you know, preventing sexually transmitted diseases, um, you know, when they're, when they're dealing with, you know, nine-year-olds and 11-year-olds. And uh, it can be kind of a touchy. So um, it's, it is recommended. I mean, mo I think most people recommend it. I believe it's recommended by the American College of uh, Pediatrics, uh, as well as uh, the um, uh, American College of, of Gynecology and Obstetrics. But, you know, it is, it is really an important vaccine. And the reason is, is because when, if you don't vaccinate your child, you're really making decisions for them later, in, later in life when they're in their 40s and 50s and 60s. Um, it, you know, it, we're all exposed to HPV during our lifetime. Uh, most of us clear it, but um, some of us don't. And, and so um, there's really not much downside to giving the vaccine. It's well tolerated. It's been around for over 15 years. Millions of people have gotten this vaccine safely. And so um, if your pediatrician doesn't specifically mention it, you really should ask for it. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Thank you for your helpful. question, Abby. 
And that's a really important call I mean, because we don't hear that much about for a while when it first came out we really or when we were first made aware we heard about it a lot yes and so now for it to resurface again I'm so glad Abby was watching and any viewers with children you know and you hear that and you hear your doctor suggest it but um, it's so informative to hear everything that it can prevent yes because you might just hear one specific thing and that might not be the thing that you're worried about at that time Absolutely. or it is uncomfortable to talk about Absolutely. but you never think about it being related to head and neck cancer right head and neck cancer and and primarily cervical cancer yes. that's how it came you know it was developed mm -hmm. it was developed and primarily it was given to girls initially to prevent cervical yes. cancer but then as it became known that this oral cavity or I should say or pharyngeal cancer um, was being caused more and more by the, the virus then they said okay we need to give it to the boys too and the girls can get the the oropharyngeal cancers as well but it not only prevents cancer actually it can prevent um, various types of uh, warts too genital warts so um, it's you know it's pretty pretty important for a whole host of reasons right yeah uh, and I'm sure we find out and I'm sure there's always questions to everything with side effects of that too but since we're talking about head and neck cancer yeah. we'll talk about that but I'm sure that um, all of these play in together yes. and you do think about the risk and you ask about it but to know that it prevents all of this stuff is really something to oh, consider it is so important yeah so, so important. important so uh, let's talk about the symptoms of head and neck cancer we kind of talked about a little bit about how even when you go to the dentist yes. and I didn't realize this too so when they're feeling around on my gum and pressing that's a screening that Absolutely. they're doing right yes. yes I had no idea that's what they're looking for, for many people it's the only screening they're gonna get yeah so the dentist is looking inside their mouth they're seeing all those structures now they're not getting down into the vocal cords, right. but they're seeing the back of the tongue, they're seeing the tonsillar region, they're seeing the, the whole front of the mouth. And so many times the dentist will, will find these things. Another very common way of, um, of knowing that you have something wrong is you get a lump in your neck, mm -hmm. okay? Um, and that's usually a lymph node that gets enlarged. And that tends to send people to the doctor. They go to the doctor, they go on antibiotics, and most of the lumps in people's necks are associated with an infection, a viral or, or a bacterial infection. It's not cancer. Okay, <laughs> but they go to the doctor, they, they get on antibiotics, maybe it doesn't get better, they get referred to an ear, nose, and throat surgeon or an oral surgeon, and then they get a CAT scan, they get a biopsy, and that's usually the first uh, indication of, of cancer in the back of the mouth. Now, if you have a cancer lower down, let's say, involving your, your larynx or the part that's involved in, in speaking, um, that can present a number of ways. You, again, you can show up with a lymph node on the side of your neck, or you could develop hoarseness or sore throat or things of that sort, which you know, which is not getting better. It's not just a cold, it's not just a virus, and it's progressive. And so that can send you to the doctor and the doctor evaluates you, sees that you have a cancer. And then that starts the process where you know you start getting a number of tests and biopsies and, and consultations with various doctors and hopefully you start to get treatment that cancer-free. Right. And is there any, um, like the hoarseness or the sore throat is uncomfortable. Is the is there any pain involved? Is it tender, this lump? How does yeah, it feel? It can is be. Is it solid? Or? Yeah. Well, sometimes it can be absolutely painless. And mm -hmm. some people have no symptoms at all and right. all of a sudden just develop this, this lump in their neck. Um, but uh, yeah, sometimes it can be painful. And depending upon where it is, I mean, people can present with pain. Sometimes they get pain that's referred to their ear. Mm. Um, you know, and so you know, it doesn't have to be painful. For right. you to have cancer. It makes sense though because it's all tied together so any kind of symptom that lasts a while. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And go see your doctor right away and find out about that. 
And how does this cancer develop? Do you get will you get a tumor on the larynx, or is it just something a spot, something that grows? How does it develop? Yeah, on these? so it really depends. You know, you can have precancerous lesions, and sometimes people um, they can have some hoarseness. They go to the doctor. It's not necessarily cancer. Sometimes they can have a benign cause of it, you know, cause of their hoarseness, or um, they may have some precancerous lesions, and then over time that can develop into cancer. Um, so. You know, the main thing when we're talking about cancer is catching it early, mm -hmm. okay? And um, unfortunately, I see folks who don't catch it, you know, they don't go to the doctor early, and it's pretty advanced when they, you know, when they come and see me. And the more advanced it is, the more aggressive the treatment needs to be. Of course. The more aggressive the treatment, the more side effects, and, and also, unfortunately, the more advanced the cancer, the lower the chance for cure. So um, pay attention to your body. When it's telling you there's something wrong, Okay, you either don't feel right, you're having a sore throat that's not going away, your voice is getting hoarse, um, you have a lump in your neck, things of that sort. You need to pay attention to your body and go to your doctor. It really is time for us all to stop and really listen right away to what's going on. Not, don't be afraid to call or go in and see and feel like you're, it's silly. There is nothing silly. If you've been hoarse for a little while, you feel like it's, it's just not, I think we all have that intuition. Even yeah. if you're hoarse for a little while, it's just not like you. That doesn't happen. Nothing really brought this in. Call your doctor. Right. Go find out. I would love to hear that you're being ridiculous. Go home. Oh, great. No. You know, no problem. It could be, and most of the, a lot of times it could be allergies. Yes. It doesn't have to be cancer. But find out. You know, sometimes what I encounter is that the reason why people don't go to their doctor is because they're afraid. Yeah. They don't want to hear, they don't know. God forbid, that it's cancer. They don't want to hear it. So they're afraid of the diagnosis, so they don't go and have it checked out. But then, unfortunately, eventually, they do end up the, the doctor. Right. We want to catch it early. Wanna and that's true for cancers in all parts of Everywhere, the body. Everywhere, yeah, all over your body. Yeah, yeah. And, they're screen, you know, and they're screening for all sorts of cancers, whether mm -hmm. it be screening for lung cancer in smokers or colonoscopies, or and pap smears are very important. Okay, because we are talking about the HPV yes. virus. So preventative care is super important because we don't want to end up at the, at the cancer doctor's office. Yeah, and now that you can catch it so early, it's, why not? Just go find out. Absolutely. Which leads into my next question about people waiting too long, maybe for whatever reason, and certainly no shame or blame in that. You just have to do what you've got if you feel right. You go when you feel like it, but this is what happens. What are the risks of head and neck cancer, of letting it go too long? We did talk about more severe treatments, but yeah. what are the risks of something just getting out of hand? Well, unfortunately, if it gets out of hand, many times it's beyond our ability to control it. Mm -hmm. And then it can end up in other parts of your body. Mm -hmm. And once it does, unfortunately, typically it's not curable. So you get treatment to preserve you know, your quality of life, to extend your life. But generally, we're talking about an incurable situation when it's, it's spread to other parts of your body. Um, the more advanced it gets up here, the greater the chance of it going systemically. Um, and you know, if you have a more advanced cancer, then you're gonna need more aggressive treatment and you can end up with permanent dysfunction, even in the event that you have a good response. If the treatment is so aggressive that, particularly if you require surgery, many times you're gonna have some sort of long-term you know, dysfunction, some mm -hmm. sort, or even, even just a cosmetic, um, you know, change in your cosmetic appearance. So you know, the earlier you catch it, the earlier you address it, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, especially anything in the oral cavity you talked about. I mentioned that disfiguring of the face, the throat. There's all kinds of things Absolutely. that can happen. And let's talk about the spread of this cancer. Um, are there different pathways for different cancers and where one might, if you get in, in the larynx, where it might go? Or yeah. how does that work? So typically what happens is you have a local 
you know, local spread, mm -hmm. okay? So the tumor might get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and then you're talking about regional spread, so it can spread to the lymph nodes. Now, when it spreads to the lymph nodes, people are like, oh my goodness, it's, it's in the lymph nodes, that means, you know, it's, it's terminal, no. Spreading to the lymph nodes is a very common thing in head and neck cancer, and, and we see it all the time. In fact, it's unusual many times not to have spread to the lymph nodes, because that's the way that people present, okay? But eventually, if, not, if it's not addressed or it's not cured uh, or presents too advanced, then it gets in the bloodstream and then it travels to other parts of your body. And that's why chemotherapy, oftentimes given in the vein, it travels in the blood side, uh, bloodstream chasing the cancer essentially. Mm. Are there certain people that are, like there's some person, people who, and, and do you test someone if they're going to be strong enough for chemotherapy or some people who really just can't have chemotherapy is ever a condition and yeah. and then do they have radiation or what do you do with someone who just cannot right if they're not strong enough or for whatever reason they can't do chemotherapy absolutely so you know I like to say we don't treat cancer we treat people with cancer oh, that's and great. so the treatment is is modified or it is designed specifically for that particular patient the treatment should not be worse than the disease okay and so what we want to do is we want to tailor a treatment that people can tolerate that's not too toxic and uh, that they can get through because if you can't complete the treatment you can't tolerate the treatment then it's not going to help you so sometimes we um, we will scale back sometimes we'll omit the chemotherapy um, sometimes we'll um, sometimes we'll choose one modality over the other um, so it all kind of fits into it you know age what we call performance status, how sick somebody is, nutritional status is very mm -hmm. important. So uh, that's all that's all factored into our treatment plan. Um, and you know, a lot of this is is relatively standard. In other words, we have national and international guidelines into how to treat these things. So you know, certain types of cancer, depending upon their stage, um, you know, there's usually a couple choices of how you treat it or the and then there's the preferred choice but all of that has to be considered with respect to the patient and what they can tolerate and that's where kind of the art of medicine comes in that's personalized medicine personalized. and not all chemotherapy by the way causes you know, terrible side effects we think of chemotherapy where people lose their hair and they get sick there are different types of chemotherapy mm. and so the chemotherapy is typically used when we're, we're treating head and neck cancer is not the kind of chemotherapy that makes you lose your hair and in terms of making you sick we have very good medicines now that actually can help people from getting sick from that chemotherapy. With respect to radiation, unfortunately it has its side effects too. And so one of the things that we do when someone is, is getting radiation is we see them on a regular basis, typically once a week, but we're available anytime someone might be having a problem because they're coming for radiation typically every single day. Wow. So we're there, we, you know, we're keeping an eye on them and we're always available if they're having a problem. And so when we're talking about radi radiation to the head and neck, we're talking about typically an uh, alteration in their saliva so they can give it, get a dry mouth, they can get a sore throat from the radiation, they can even get blisters from the radiation and some skin reaction. So one of the things that we try to do using our technology is we try to minimize the dose to those parts of the, the body and the head and neck and the throat that don't need the radiation, okay? So if we can target that radiation very precisely, which we do, then we can minimize those side effects um, and help people get through it. And that's where the technology is really exciting. Um, so if you, can, if you can make your treatment more tolerable, uh, that more people can get through it, you can actually intensify it and make it more effective. 
And so that's one of the most exciting aspects of radiation oncology because we use just state-of-the-art technology and we have physicists who help us mm -hmm. and we have, a, you know, a whole, we have nurses, we have techs. It's like a, it's a whole team approach. Um, but, you know, we also have something called proton therapy and uh, that's really exciting too because, um, you know, traditional radiation, I mentioned x-rays initially. You know, x-rays are, are used for all sorts of things. You know, we use them to take pictures, chest x-rays. That's because x-rays come in and then some of them go out because they get, you know, some of it gets absorbed. But that's a problem when we're talking about using high energy x-rays to treat cancers because, you know, we have to go through healthy tissue going in and unfortunately then we go through healthy tissues going out and that's where some of the side effects come from. So uh, when we use proton therapy, can't use that for taking pictures because it goes in but there's no exit. And in fact, when it comes in, it, it doesn't even deliver much dose coming in and then it delivers almost no dose coming out. The analogy I like to, to use is if you're playing pool and you think of the proton as the cue ball and you know you're breaking so you break and it pushes the cue ball pushes all the other balls away and then it makes contact with the target ball and hits in the pocket so that's like proton therapy so how do we know when to use proton therapy once again it depends on the type of cancer it depends on the patient it depends on you know, where it is and so that's all part of you know the process of figuring out how to best treat somebody's cancer but we're really focused on making it tolerable decreasing the side effects so people can get through and also giving them support you know we we have social workers we have nutritionists we have speech pathologists who help with people swallowing and speech um, nurses um, and so we you know we really we approach this as a team addressing people's needs from a psychosocial standpoint as well as from economic standpoint if they need some help as well as from a medical standpoint very personalized yeah dr. Katz I've learned so much this is really wonderful. I think the biggest takeaway I'm going to have, and I hope our viewers are watching too about this, that there's different types of chemo that you are really focused on being tolerable and taking care of the patient. Thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. I've Thank learned you. so much. Oh, sure. I hope you come back again. Look forward to it. I sure will. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for calling, and we'll see you on Healthline next time.